On November 15, 2007, a group of civilian pilots, military personnel, astrophysicists, and aeronautics experts, even the former governor of Arizona, gathered in Washington, D.C. to participate in a press conference about UFOs. For more than two hours, these men, and they were all men, stood up and each recounted a personal experience that had left them scratching their heads. Both objects were of a flattened disc shape with a dark area to the right. They were brilliant yellow with light emanating from within. As we approached it on foot, a silhouetted triangular craft about nine feet long, six and a half feet high, came into view. We discovered mild radiation and evidence of broken branches on the trees. We suddenly observed a very bright red-orange object. It was oval and with a black center. It reminded me of an eye and it appeared to be winking. During my second term as governor of Arizona, I saw something that defied logic and challenged my reality. I witnessed a a massive delta-shaped craft that silently navigated over the Squaw Peak uh, area in uh, North Phoenix uh, in the evening, and it was truly breathtaking. As a pilot and a former Air Force officer, uh, I can definitively say that this craft did not resemble any man-made object that I'd ever seen. They came from all over, not just the U.S., but Belgium, Peru, Iran, England, to share their stories with the world. And they were frustrated, because in many cases, despite the fact that these were reputable, reliable sources, their governments had either ignored their reports or just chalked them up to weird weather. Who are you going to believe? Your lying eyes or the government? Here's the thing, though. Is the government really ignoring them? Because while programs designed to watch missiles and satellites and aircraft can be easily created... Programs to examine unidentified flying objects are a little harder to take seriously and a lot harder to fund. And telling the public that you're using their taxpayer money to investigate UFOs? Probably better to keep something like that under the radar, so to speak. Fund it with secret money. Which is exactly what the Pentagon did in 2007 when it created its secret UFO program. Because if there are weird, unidentifiable things winging through the air... It doesn't make a lot of sense to ignore them and just hope they go away. But maybe the public doesn't need to know. I'm Laura Krantz, and this is Wild Thing, Space Invaders, a series about the search for extraterrestrial life, where we're looking, what we're looking for, and why we hope we're not alone. The Pentagon's secret UFO program wasn't the military's first flirtation with this world. As we learned in the last episode, the Air Force ran something called Project Blue Book back in the 1950s and 60s. Officials collected thousands of reports of UFOs, trying to figure out what those objects were and if they posed a threat to national security. Which is the kind of responsible action you want from the military. If something is out there, you definitely hope the government is paying attention and taking notes. Out of over 12,000 reports collected by Project Blue Book, most could be chalked up to weather, stars, and regular old boring aircraft. But around 700 remained unidentified, even after more analysis. Despite that, the military officially terminated the project in 1969, saying there was no threat to national security, no evidence that these were extraterrestrial vehicles, 
no proof that they represented advanced technology. A disappointing conclusion to a program that many thought had real promise. Yeah, Project Blue Book probably was good. In theory, it wound up being nothing. They didn't spend enough money on it, didn't study anything that amounted to anything, and refused to make it public, so it, it was worthless, in my opinion. That's former Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid. He's retired now and living full-time in his home state of Nevada, where he has an office in the maze-like back rooms of the Bellagio Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. I mean, if you're going to find aliens on this planet, Vegas is as good a place as any to start looking. You're only three hours away from Area 51, and we know they've got aliens squirreled away in there. Senator Reid does not confirm this. Not that I expected him to, nor did I honestly ever expect I'd be in his office talking about UFOs. And I bet when he started his career, he didn't anticipate having these kinds of conversations either, especially since he's not someone who started out with an interest in UFOs. No, but where I was born and raised, there was a lot of drunks there. They saw stuff all the time. But in the mid-2000s, a physicist at the Defense Intelligence Agency sent Senator Reid a letter, which piqued his curiosity. He sent me a bunch of stuff on flying saucers, okay? And it was a lot, a lot of scientific stuff and a lot of meaningless uh, conspiracy theories and all that kind of stuff. The one thing I did learn is I always assumed that people who saw these things was one person, maybe two people. But as I read through all this stuff, it wasn't a person here, a person there. It wasn't 10 people here, 10 people there. Hundreds of people at one time saw these things. Some of these people were military people, and that really made Senator Reid sit up and take notice. So at that time, I was majority leader of the Senate. And so I told Ted Stevens and Dan Inouye I wanted to meet them. Senator Ted Stevens from Alaska and Senator Daniel Inouye from Hawaii, a Republican and a Democrat who at the time led the Senate Appropriations Committee and were the two most powerful people out there when it came to defense spending. If you want to get something done, defense, you go to Stevens and Inouye. So he pulled them aside and said, I think we should come up with some money. It's so-called black money, you know, it wouldn't show up in anything. After I gave that brief explanation, Ted Stevens from Alaska said very quickly, thank goodness, I've been waiting to do something on this for many, many years. When I was in World War II, I was an Army Air Corps pilot. He said, I have always had in my mind what happened to me one day. I'm flying and I look out my, the cockpit, and there's something to my left. I would go fast, it would go with me. Slow, it would stay with me. Go down, couldn't get rid of it. So he's low on fuel, went down and landed. He asked uh, air traffic control on the bottom, uh, on the ground. What was that? I said, what are you talking about? He said, was something following me? Of course, the air traffic control thought he was crazy. So anyway, he said, I saw it, I know I saw it. So yes, we'll be happy to get some money to do this. And they, they uh, said, we'll do, we'll do 20 million or more. That's what we did, that's how that started. But as Senator Reid mentioned, this was funded with black money, which means expenditures that aren't disclosed to the general public. Honestly, that sounds like a government conspiracy in the making. 
But Senator Reid said the secrecy was for the mundane reasons that people already complain about how the government spends money. So no reason to give them more ammunition. Some people hate the Appropriations Committee anyway. I'm not going to mention any names, but every year they come out, some people just, they try to pick at little things. So why are they doing research on uh, sex life of monkeys or something? You know, and there's a good scientific reason for it, but it sounds foolish. So you, we can't have, have somebody out there saying, what are these people doing now looking at uh, flying saucers? So that's why we did it that way. The program got up and running in 2007 and was known as the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, or ATIP for short, the Secret UFO Program. Now, let me also be clear, that's a, a lay word that we really don't use much in the government. Um, I think there's a lot of, probably because a lot of baggage and, and historical stigma associated with the term UFO, we, we always use the word UAP, Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon. I stand corrected. UAP is the acronym we use to talk about UFOs if we want to be taken seriously. But I'm going to stick with the popular name. In any case, the central goal of ATIP was to sort through information and reports about UFOs as they came in, similar to Project Blue Book. Our hope was that we could, in many cases we did, we were able to identify a very terrestrial explanation. This is a new type of drone. This is a weather balloon. Uh, this is an atmospheric anomaly. That's... We always went in trying to, to, to find a, a very rational explanation. That's Luis Elizondo, a former employee with the Department of Defense, who resigned in 2017 and, after leaving, proceeded to tell the world about ATIP, at least about the non-classified parts. Among other information, he supposedly leaked videos made by U.S. Navy pilots of unidentified aerial phenomena, including one taken off the eastern seaboard in 2015. He's the reason we even learned anything about this secret Pentagon program. And why did he spill the beans? Because, he says, he was frustrated with what he felt was too much secrecy. Hmm. A lack of transparency? From the military? What a surprise. There's a very valid need, a very valid requirement to keep things secret. And I would never argue that. But what I do disagree with is over-secrecy or an abuse of that system to keep things classified or secret just for the sole purposes of uh, because they might be embarrassing or because we might not have an answer. That, that I don't agree with. Because of Elizondo's action, we know the Pentagon ran a UFO program from 2008 to 2012 with a total budget of $22 million. Now, in terms of defense spending, $22 million kind of seems like a drop in the bucket. I mean, the military budget for 2018 alone came in at a whopping $700 billion with a B. 22 million is nothing. But it allowed the Defense Department to hire an independent contractor, an aerospace company run by Robert Bigelow, who, it should be noted, was a constituent of Harry Reid's. Bigelow Aerospace hired somewhere between 20 and 30 scientists and experts to investigate various types of data and study these UAPs, especially in regards to the military cases that came to them. In 2012, the budget for ATIP ran out and was not renewed. But Luis Elizondo claims that work on this project continued. And then from 13 to 14, uh, there was additional money that was provided under a different uh, name. So then we had to become very clever, my, my team and I, and figure out how we how we continue to, to do what we were told to do uh, without revealing what we're doing and at the same time without, you know, spending any new money. 
rumors persisted that the Department of Defense was still running ATIP, albeit under yet another name. And those rumors got more fuel in the summer of 2020, when a Senate spending report mentioned something called the Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon Task Force. Run by the Office of Naval Intelligence, its job is to standardize collection and reporting of sightings of UAPs, and report at least some of those findings to the public. Which makes complete sense, because why wouldn't the military be interested in what's happening in the skies around us, especially if some of those events are really weird? Is this a national security concern? Drones? Foreign aircraft? Could it be aliens? We, we, we simply don't know. It could be all the above and none of the above. Could it wind up being uh, our own technology? Sure. Could it wind up being an adversarial technology that really has been kept under wraps for the last 70 years? Sure, it could be. It could be in any of those and, and even some things we've never even considered before. We don't know. That's the point. We don't know. And we should want to find out no matter how weird the answer is. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There's a fair amount of controversy about ATIP, what it did, how long it lasted, who ran it. If you want to wade into the murky waters of this debate, there is tons of stuff online. And there doesn't seem to be consensus on just what went on inside this black money project. Even journalists who've been covering the story for years can't get straight answers. So the idea that the Defense Department would share any truly useful information from this program is definitely a tall order. But at least one thing appears to have come out of it, and may have been helped when Luis Elizondo took ATIP public. Where before they had to keep their mouths shut out of fear of ridicule, military personnel now have a way to report the strange things they've seen. A move that has people like Senator Reid applauding. Just like Ted Stevens' example I gave you, that didn't help him for his promotions, but he saw this stuff. And reporting it... um, Pilots learned over the years, it's not going to help you. Don't say anything about it. Because if you want to get a promotion from captain to major or something, you better not do that. Um, so they didn't report these. That's the thing we found in our study. The most information we got from that is retired pilots would talk about it. But now they can't deny it. And the military now has said, go ahead and report it, which is wonderful. In 2019, the U.S. Navy created new guidelines for reporting unidentified aerial phenomena to encourage pilots and other personnel to disclose sightings or interactions. Better late than never, I guess. But arguably, the ability to report should have always been in place, because this kind of information is exactly what the military should be gathering. As retired Navy pilot Ryan Graves points out, It could very well be a a hostile power that's out there soaking up our tactics and our waveforms on our radar. You know, and the next time we have a major conflict, it's going to be like Pearl Harbor all over again. 
or it is something else. We just don't know, you know, and the first step to actually finding out what it is, is to gather data, which you need to be able to report the data in order to do so and have a method for collecting data, and then you can analyze it. The fact that pilots and other military personnel couldn't talk about the weird things they'd seen because they didn't want to get labeled as crackpots or be passed over for promotions seems a little problematic. You know, the fire community in the Navy is a, it's a very reputation-based business, you know? I mean, if you, get, if you start coming off as that, that loony that's seeing stuff all the time, uh, it's not going to bode well for you personally or for your career. And I think that, you know, people want to keep their head down. Graves retired from the U.S. Navy after 10 years. I was a pilot, uh, specifically flying the uh, F-A-18 Foxtrot Super Hornet for the majority of my time, or at least training to it. The top speed of the Super Hornet is 1,190 miles per hour, which must make flying commercial feel excruciatingly slow. There's many reasons flying commercial is frustrating. (laughs) Like legroom in coach. But I digress. The Super Hornet, says Graves, is America's premier fighter plane, and you are constantly training to be better at flying it. Uh, At the very early stages, you're just kind of learning to be a pilot, and then afterwards you actually get into the F-18, and now you're kind of learning to to employ that that weapon system, not necessarily an aircraft. It's not the right way to think about it, but you learn to employ that that flying weapon system uh, at a very basic level. And so we're constantly getting to the next level, flying it better. And then you have to just make sure you're current and good at actually flying off an aircraft carrier, which is a a never-ending skill set that you need to keep fresh. Graves and his fellow pilots spent countless hours in the air, years of training, practicing, mastering their aircraft, and then teaching the next generation of gooses and mavericks how to fly. They knew these planes inside and out, just like they knew what else was up there in the sky with them. Um, and we do become very familiar with the capabilities and limitations uh, of different nations' aircraft that we would expect to see. So we, we would know how they would maneuver uh, in real life. And he's not just talking planes. And then you have your other realm of aircraft, your, your small drones, things like that. Your unmanned vehicles that are run by operators elsewhere. Essentially an airplane with a pilot that's not directly inside it. Normal stuff. What they expected to see while flying. No surprises. And then one day, they started seeing something that just did not compute. I can't really say when it began, because for us, we only started noticing the issue once we upgraded our radar. We upgraded from an older system to a new system over the course of about maybe four to six months. This was around 2013, 2014. The whole fleet was getting an upgrade to their 1980s-era radar which took some time. But as each plane got the new system, the pilots would notice these things on the radar. Sitting in one place, or flying around randomly, or flying in a racetrack pattern. Of course, in hearing this, my first thought was, duh, this is a bug in the new radar system. The pilots thought the same thing. Our honest assumption at the time, even though it doesn't really jive with the technology and the radars, but we thought these were potentially, you know, some type of inherent radar error that we were seeing. And it's the most logical answer that we could come up with at the time. And these weren't just one-offs. Graves and the other pilots were seeing these things every day. But no one thought they were physically real. Initially, we were not actively trying to avoid them because we didn't think they were physical objects at first. Um, It wasn't until 
um, some guys got close enough within the range to pick it up on our optical sensor. So we actually started seeing what essentially looked like someone shining, best I can describe it, as a either a very bright star or someone shining an IR flashlight directly into the FLIR. FLIR is an infrared sensor, a thermal camera. It can see heat. So you couldn't make out a distinct shape, but it was emitting energy. Uh, so we knew it wasn't just a radar error at that point. And that's when people actually did start actively avoiding these things that were out there. But they still didn't know what they were seeing. So their next best guess? Some sort of top-secret military drone. So perhaps these things were um, being tested out there, which would be an incredibly horrible place to test these things. But these things could be out there flying around at 0.6 or 0.8 Mach. Roughly between 460 and 615 miles per hour. From 7 in the morning till, you know, 11 at night. And then, you know, stay still and then accelerate. The sort of rapid acceleration that might actually kill a person. So it's, at that point, we were assuming it was some type of drone that the military was testing. Um, and again, we kind of just took it as a, another safety issue that we needed to deal with at this point. Still, the mystery persisted. So the pilots took it to the next level, trying to see it with their own eyes. We're obviously flying by very quickly, so we only have a, a second or two to actually visually pick it up. But once someone did visually see it, um, and then another time people inadvertently saw it when they were flying out to the area, uh, and they flew as a section, so two aircraft maybe about 150 feet apart, one flew in between the aircraft. Uh, and I have to be careful with the wording, so I don't necessarily know if it flew in between the aircraft or if it was stationary and the planes, you know, flew past it, because it can be, it can be difficult to tell. That came as a bit of a surprise. Physically seeing an actual object made this a much bigger safety concern, especially when, Graves says, someone almost had a mid-air collision with one. He came back. I was there when he came back. He still had his gear on, which was rare. Normally, that's the first thing you do is take your gear off. He's in the ready room. He's just like... I almost hit one of those things, you know, and we all obviously knew what he was referring to, but we still didn't know what it was. Um, and he described how it went, went down um, the side of the aircraft. He physically described what it looked like. And now it became kind of a, a more of a concern because it went from, all right, maybe it's a radar glitch to maybe it's the, some kind of drone test to things are getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So here these pilots are, flying super expensive equipment at monstrously fast speeds. They've got a million things to think about, and now they've got to add this problem to the list. But unlike many of the other problems they had to deal with, there was no real way to report this one. 
there's no there was no method to say hey here's a weird object in our working space let's report it they didn't know about the pentagon's ufo program and as lieutenant graves said earlier no one wanted to be the guy talking about well unidentified flying objects you know the cultural significance of that term is not lost on me when i hear ufo i think this is a alien spaceship you know but the reality was there is something there and people would see on a daily basis and whether it is you know a ufo per the cultural definition or whether it is uh some very advanced classified drone program which i find unlikely or some type of you know intelligence gathering device from china or russia either way i mean that's that's the east coast of the united states if it is a foreign entity uh you know if it was a, a mig or any other type of fighter jet from another country out there you know all all hell would break loose it would be a huge issue but because the object looks different than what we expect all of a sudden no one has the ability to talk about it or at least talk about it in an official capacity and they had no way of knowing if anyone was looking into it on a higher level. What should have been a no-brainer, reporting something unknown, unexpected, and potentially dangerous, was outweighed by the stigma of looking like a nutcase. So at that point, Graves and his colleagues could basically only talk about these experiences with each other. They didn't really have anywhere else to go. A lot of people in the Navy have stories like this, uh, you know, going back decades. So I think the people that have been in my shoes recognize that this is a pretty normal occurrence to see strange things in the sky um, for many years. People like the men we heard from at the beginning of this episode. In 2007, a filmmaker named James Fox, whose documentaries include I Know What I Saw and The Phenomenon, organized the press conference where all those men spoke. To be clear, none of them said that what they'd seen could be definitively chalked up to aliens or extraterrestrials, and they don't want to make any assumptions. I mean, they say there's not enough evidence to assume anything, and I agreed. Leslie Kane helped organize the press conference, and she's the author of the book UFOs, Generals, Pilots, and Government Officials Go on the Record. She was also a little skeptical about being on this podcast. I've, I never assumed that these are extraterrestrial. So even when you say a program on search for extraterrestrial life, I almost react by saying, well, we don't know if UFOs are extraterrestrial or not, but maybe they don't even fit into your topic. She could be right. After all, this is a podcast about the search for extraterrestrial life, and UFOs may have nothing to do with that. So the acronym UFO, as we all know, stands for Unidentified Flying Object, and it was coined by the Air Force way back, I think in the 60s at some point. Basically, it just means something in the sky that's unidentified. So it doesn't mean a spaceship from another planet or whatever you might want to think it means. It means an unidentified object. And if it's unidentified, you can't claim it's extraterrestrial driven by people from another planet. Right. Because if we knew it was an alien flyby, then we would have identified it. Culturally, though, people often equate UFOs with aliens. People will say the question all the time they'll ask is, do you believe in UFOs? Whereas if you have the correct definition in mind, you're not going to ask that question because it makes no sense. There are definitely objects in the sky that are unidentified. These pilots and military men have seen them. So have lots of others. But that's not what these people are asking. They're asking, do you believe in UFOs as 
spaceships from another world or flying saucers from another planet or something. That's the confusion. And um, it's very frustrating for people who don't want to draw that conclusion because we simply don't know what they are or where they're from. So yes, it's a possibility among many other possibilities. And even if it's a, you know, one of the leading possibilities, it's absolutely only a hypothesis at this point. So the bottom line is we, have, we don't know what they are, period, full stop. The point is, she says, people need to keep an open mind, and the military and the government should be willing to explore all avenues. There are unidentified flying objects or unidentified aerial phenomena out there, and we don't know what they are. Finding out will require gathering more data, along with some hard evidence, and being willing to consider all possibilities. Fife Symington, the former governor of Arizona who had seen a UFO over Phoenix, put it like this when he spoke at that 2007 press conference. We want the United States government to stop perpetuating the myth that all UFOs can be explained away in down-to-earth and conventional terms. When it comes to events of this nature, dealing with the great unknown, we deserve, I believe, more openness and a serious pursuit of the facts by our government. It looks like the decision by the U.S. Navy to provide personnel with a way to report sightings and the Senate's push to have at least some of that information shared publicly is a step in that direction. I think the fact that they have Create the reporting system is an exceptional step forward as long as it's done correctly. I think time will tell if that process uh, is continued to take serious or whether they're just paying lip service to it here in the short term. Graves hopes the military will collect its data and really go through these reports. Although who knows how much of that information will ever actually reach us. Also, while they may be taking the reports of their pilots seriously, The idea of aliens may be a bridge too far. But I hope the military might be willing to at least consider the possibility, in the same way that I hope scientists would be willing to consider it. We don't know what's out there. We can only try to be objective about the options. As Avi Loeb, our Harvard astronomer, said about Oumuamua, This object is whatever it is. We just need to find out. And the way to find out is by collecting evidence, behaving as a scientist. Not having a prejudice about what you should find, rather being open-minded. If we have the ability to detect something, we should contemplate all possibilities, put them on the table and analyze them in a scientific manner. The military should be willing to do the same with the sightings its pilots report. Personally, I don't think it's extraterrestrials, although I'm open to the idea if the evidence supports it. And if I'm wrong and it's definitely E.T., then super cool unless they're trying to zap us with death rays. And kudos to the people who knew all along. But here's another thing to think about. If the military did discover these flying things had alien origins, they'd probably be asking for a lot more than $22 million. As Pete Klupar, a 40-year veteran of the space industry, points out, I mean, I've held very high security clearances. If they knew that there were aliens, even the slightest hint of a fact that there were aliens out there, they would be running to Congress and blowing it up. There'd be 8 by 10 color glossies everywhere talking about the threat from space so that they could get a bigger budget. These are people that want more money. There is no interest 
I can see for them to hide it. It just doesn't make sense. We'll hear more from Pete in the next episode. But the point is, until we have more definitive proof, I'm inclined to think this mystery has a more down-to-earth answer. Drones, unknown military technology, or even something out of private industry. I imagine the military is thinking much along the same lines, and it's probably fair to say that they're focused on more terrestrial things. So if we want to search for signs of alien life, we'll really need to be looking deep into space. And for that, we turn back to a group of scientists who are at the leading edge of the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. They're looking. What's really exciting is the fact that technologies are are coming together in a way that finally enables us to probe for uh, planets like Earth or on other stars and to catalog essentially where are the nearest uh, potentially habitable planets. They're listening. My hope is, is that every major observatory, um, be it a radio telescope or an optical telescope or otherwise, has the search for extraterrestrial intelligence as a part of its science program. And they're thinking about how exactly to reach out. That's coming up on the next episode of Wild Thing. Special thanks to James Fox for allowing me to use the audio from his 2007 press conference. An additional thank you to Tim Tackle and Mike Cianelli for their help in tracking down sources. And a high five to Sarah Scholes for sharing her extensive knowledge on ATIP. If you're enjoying Wild Thing, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to good stories. Also, definitely tell your friends, because all of this really helps get the word out about the show and makes another season possible. You can find at Wild Thing Pod on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and check out the website, wildthingpodcast.com. That's wildthingpodcast, all one word, for more information about the show and, of course, for some cool stickers. This podcast is a production of Foxtopus Inc. Our executive producer is Scott Carney, editing is by Alicia Lipinski, and the score and sound mixing come from Louis Weeks. I'm your host and creator, Laura Krantz. Thank you.